namo tassa pakavato arahato samma samputassa namo tassa pakavato arahato samma samputassa namo tassa pakavato arahato samma samputassa buddhang dhammang sankhang namasami so hello toronto singapore india wherever you are Ottawa uh, hope you're well some people are enjoying this COVID lockdown most I don't think are for us it's uh, not much different really we've been as I like to joke we've been self-isolating for 2600 years so this is all right for us can I, uh, whoever's hosting this, can I suggest you mute all the mics except mine? Are we co-hosting? That's what we found in doing the Zoom. So Chris, why don't you just mute everyone except me? We found that quite effective. Yeah, there we go. We can unmute ourselves. There you go. Okay, and we're in two, right? You can hear me? Okay, there you go. That, that just works better, Chris, because then people don't accidentally unmute themselves and so on. Uh, so anyway, we're doing well here at the monastery. Uh, we are open for business, <laughs> but very limited. People come and we meet them uh, in the tent. We have a big marquee, so we, we don't know what we're going to do when it's... Uh, Minus 20, but for right now it's been been okay. So we've been, we had our winter retreat starting uh, January and then the lockdowns came. So we're just with, with our community. We have a lovely community right now. So it's, a, it's actually quite a sweet time for us, <laughs> strangely enough. <laughs> um, so uh, whatever time it is for you, it's what you're going to work with, right? But I think this concept of beauty is important. And again, I think uh, what you find in Theravada Buddhism is the intellectual side gets emphasized in uh, Western culture through the literature of scholars. Now, in the last 20 years, we have many, many more teachers who aren't coming from a scholastic background, but are coming from a, uh, their own experiences and interpreting the Dhamma, and that's, that's very, very helpful as well, isn't it? So it's quite an interesting time. Um, but you will, you will find kind of like, like books every now and coming out, you know, what the Buddha really taught. <laughs> the latest character, you know, who studied Buddhism for two years, and he's going to tell us, now this is... This is the essence of Buddhism. Okay, all right. And I wonder, you know, there's, there's that kind of conceit around language and thought. So someone thinks they, you know, just because they think it through and they, you know, they read a few texts, they think, well, now I really know. And it's certainly one of the ways we learn through intellect, like, and through through kind of fixed structures. So I was, what was I doing? I was, a few weeks ago, I was trying to figure out how to make a mold for a base of a Buddha. And I was trying to figure out how to use rubber molds and how to use uh, epoxy resin and, and clay and, and, and stuff like that. 
So of course you go to YouTube and you get the five steps to make a rubber mold or tense five bad things you shouldn't do with resin epoxy. And so I read that and it's a very, you know, it's a very logical and rational. Yeah. Okay. That's easy. But your mind doesn't work that way. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so if you notice that the emotions are not rational, that they don't fit the one, two, three, four, five category. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> so there's another way we learn as well. And that's the way of learning how to ride a bicycle. I don't think anyone's looked at a YouTube of how to ride a bicycle because that's not going to help. You kind of got to get on the bicycle. Someone holds it for you and pushes you off and hope for the best. Scrape knees, get up and try again. That's a different way of learning, isn't it? It's the way of, of, of uh, learning viscerally, you're learning experientially. And... You know, that, that to me relates more like what, what Buddhism is about, learning how to ride a bicycle rather than uh, you get a list of things and then you follow that list and bango, you've got an enlightened a brain or something like that. Now, that's not to dismiss intellect, but intellect is a tool rather than end in itself. So just having more knowledge can actually lead to more doubt. Haven't you found that? I found that sometimes... I read, I read a lot about something and I'll come away from it actually more confused. <laughs> Maybe I'm just stupid, I'm not sure. <laughs> but, but also then, but, but like reflection is, is a different kind of activity. It's more like you take one, one you know, just one, one piece of the teaching which you think, oh, that'll be interesting. And you somehow learn how to actually use it as a mirror to your own experience. You, you, you bring it up into your mind and say, where is that in my experience? What, the, what is the Buddha pointing to? That's what we call Dhamma Vijaya, investigation of Dhamma. And you need some knowledge for that, sure. Yeah. But how much do you really need? Right? But what you do need to do is, is, is kind of have, have a contemplative attitude to your spiritual life. And contemplation for me is, is obviously in the frameworks that the Buddha offers us for contemplation and then the doing of that as an intention uh, throughout the day throughout my life so for instance I was suggesting in the last two retreats I did as a bit of homework why don't you contemplate resistance for one year <laughs> that sounds pretty boring right but you just think about it how like if, you, if you're conversant with the Four Noble Truths, then you know that the three types of craving, one of them is the desire to get rid of. Yeah? So I, I just, for myself, define that as resistance. So what if I were to say, okay, this year, I'll make that my project to understand how resistance operates in consciousness and when is it a source of suffering? Now that to me is, 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 has intelligence behind it and it has the Buddhist structures behind it, but it's not just thinking more thoughts and ideas, it's actually silently witnessing, noticing, oh, when there's that kind of a person, I feel resistance. Oh, what's that about? Why do I feel, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll look at that. And then I see, oh, I find them whatever, you know, I find them too aggressive or 
or, or whatever it might be, right? So, so then by bringing up a theme, that becomes the way that I enter into all relationships and situations and bodily feelings as a Dhamma practitioner all the time, you know, not just on the cushion, all the time. And so we get to a, a deeper level of understanding ourselves than just the narratives. Because the narratives and storylines of resistance are, 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 are many, many. The person I disagree with, or my worries about my health, or, you know, concerns about the caterpillars eating all our... Caterpillars did a real job on our... Uh, no, the big ones. Basswood. On the basswoods. Oh, I was looking today. They just did a job on our basswoods. So, some resistance there. <laughs> but, you know, that's just one incidence of resistance. So I could go on and on and on and tell you all, all about resistances this year. But that's not Dharma. That's not really Dharma. That's just Vera Dharma. <laughs> you see what I mean? Dharma is seeing, oh yeah, uh, I don't like that. It feels this way. Right? Now, I mean, obviously, I, I, I'm not traumatized by the caterpillars. I'm okay. <laughs> but just, just you know, like, like I, was, I was looking at uh, walking in the forest and had my binoculars and I saw these really bedraggled trees and I looked up. Sure enough, it was the, 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 the basswoods go to 40 feet. They're gorgeous trees. They're gorgeous trees. Big, big trees. They're very softwood. They use it for making um, wooden duck decoys and things like that. Beautiful tree. And so I could, you know, I looked at it and I didn't like the look of it. And, and then I said, yeah, but this is what nature is about. It's like this. Now that's simple to do, right? It's simple to do. But if you, if you take a principle like that of Dharma and then you apply it, you know, and it just begins to pop up how someone voiced, you don't like that. Well, this is resistance. It feels like this. And as you do that, you return to the witnessing consciousness is where you find the peace. And then sometimes resistance is good. Like I say, whoa, my, you know, my knee really hurts. I better move. And it's a good thing. So it's, not, it's not that you're somehow immobilized or something like that, right? But it's, it's you're now informed through dharma of the way things are. And this is, a, this is actually, it's not, you know, it's not like, it's not like you have to be so smart. You have to be wise. Maybe I don't understand some aspects of abstruse abhidhamma and, and all the different you know, categories and then definitions upon definitions upon definitions. You know, maybe I, I can't figure out what the heck they're talking about. <laughs> but that I can see because that's real. And, and, and the realization of truth is in real time, right? And, and intellect is... It, I was thinking, you know, I've been thinking about this word virtual. You know, virtual, this is a virtual retreat, online retreat, virtual. But virtual comes from virtue. So how did that get there? I haven't figured it out yet, but <laughs> I'll tell you if I figure it out. <laughs> but but in, a, in a way, you can see that intellectual commentary on the way things are can be helpful, but it can also be just living in a virtual reality because it's not, it's not really reality. So if I... If I look at the um, tree and I just moan about, oh, that's that poor tree, and it's not right, and you have to do something about that, that's not really the reality of the tree. It's me and my virtual creations around it. 
And so what we're trying to return to in, in contemplative life is first and foremost, well, how is it now? I mean, it's easy to say, but it's actually quite challenging to do moment by moment, moment by moment, moment by moment. Every now and then, yeah, but this, this kind of sustained clarity of presence. And it doesn't matter what the experience is, the experiential, the body experience or the, the environmental experience or the social experience. That's not really the point. First, first and foremost, it's the point of awakening. A sense of, oh, yeah, it like, you know, it's like this. I feel cold or it's like this. And, and then, then once you've awoken to that, then that's the path, really. That's the path. And that's from which you, you can now develop an understanding of suffering and the end of suffering. So then you, 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 you think to, and this is different than just like trying to be mindful and controlling all yourself. That's helpful. You know, you don't trip on the ice and don't spill the sugar on the floor. Great. Good for you. <laughs> but life is more than functional presence, isn't it? Dharma life is, at least. It's contemplative. And, and, and contemplative is this sort of background witnessing with, with, the, with the tools that the Buddha offered us and, and our different teachers. So, you know, like, why don't we do that? This, you know, um, you have, we have, we're going to be together for uh, this evening and, and a bit of tomorrow, right? Then what if we took that as a theme? Resistance. Just like make that an intention in your mind. Now that that's an interesting way to look at it because that intention isn't, now I'm going to be really, really mindful tomorrow right? and I'm going to just cut those veggies like they've never been cut before, <laughs> which is a horrible way to live, right? This kind of anal control of life all the time. <laughs> but, but that's, you know, it's not fun too. But, but what would brighten your mind? Wouldn't curiosity brighten your mind? And, you know, an investigation? Wouldn't that be kind of a more interesting way? You know, living as a monk for 45 years, it, it, I started with, like, counting the number of chews. Oh, I hated that. <laughs> you know, so the idea of mindfulness is some kind of maybe control. And, I, like, my mind will never shift or move away from the present moment. That's not really riding the bicycle. You just keep falling off, right? So, so the idea of Dhamma Vijaya, the, the contemplation of a theme or a part of the, the teaching is this, this, this the curiosity around uh, whatever, whatever you like to choose. Um, so what if, what if as a suggestion, I mean, you don't need to do this, but as a suggestion, you make that the theme. Now, we couldn't have advertised this theme because no one would have come. <laughs> You know, to advertise the theme, you say the, the golden bliss of the Buddha beyond all radiance. You know, you have to do that, otherwise you can't sell this. Jim would be up, up for some money there. <laughs> right? That's what modern... <laughs> but actually, resistance is actually very interesting because it's, it's, it's something very uh, important about being human and, and why we suffer. So imagine now... I start to make that an intention. That creates more mindfulness around the way the mind actually operates. And this is the third foundation of mindfulness, Jitanupassana, the, the, the un, or the fourth foundation, both the understanding of how your mind is working. Not, you're not just controlling it. I'm, I'm not going to have any anger today. I'll be good. I'll be good. <laughs> you fall off the bicycle. <laughs> but I'm going to notice resistance. So if you're talking with someone, you're starting to resist 
you know, that they talk too much or whatever, and you know, oh yeah, resistance feels this way, you probably won't go to anger. You have a better chance for it, won't you? Or, or you resist in your own mind something, some memory that, you know, that you don't want to come up. Oh, no, no. And you, you say, oh, this is resistance to memory. You let it come up. It comes up and goes through you. It's not a problem. So vibhava tanha, the desire to get rid of, is a huge part of our suffering and, and very important to understand. A suggestion, right? You, you, again, you, you have your own things you want to do and, and, and fine. Just, but, but, but if you, if you get the principle of contemplative, contemplative craft, you know that kind of language I like to use, the contemplative craft, that's what I'm talking about. Um, and it is, it, you know, it, 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 if you imbue it with your own predicament, then your own predicament isn't the predicament, it's your laboratory. If you just think, I have this horrible predicament called me and my family, and so on and so forth, then it's a predicament, yeah. <laughs> but if it is actually the place you learn from, your laboratory, you know, your, your whatever, if you, if you change the language to that, and then you bring up themes, then it's very edifying. Not easy, oftentimes not easy, but we're not here for easy, are we? Um, so that's one thing that would be, I think, useful. Um, I have been... Like on these last two retreats, I've been, I, I find my mind talking a lot about the, um, the affection and, and beauty and openness we can experience as human beings as a method in the spiritual life. And, and, and you've probably heard me tell this story a dozen times, but um, when I was in, in New Zealand and I was listening to a talk by His Holiness the Dalai Lama, he he said, this was many, many years ago, but he said that a compassion is the method. You know, I'd never thought of that before. I'd always thought of it as the goal. But he said, it's the method. I said, well, that's, that's an interesting way to look at it. So compassion can come up, you know, when, when someone is ill and I, I'm, I'm compassionate toward them. But these Brahma-viharas, the sense of affection that we can feel or the... Um, the, the sense of beauty that we can appreciate, we can actually uh, participate in those. You know, they don't have to be passive events that happen when circumstances come. So they can be the method. And, and why are they the method? Um, because the heart needs uplift. Just kind of working with your stuff, as we used to say. That's what we, we used to say. I don't say that anymore, but I used to say, I'm just working on my stuff. <laughs> which is really depressing. <laughs> and, you know, you're just kind of hammering away at Mara and just grinding out the restlessness. And, oh. But I don't think you're going to realize peace unless the heart has happiness. So that I think the mistake we sometimes make is that if I meditate, I will get happy. So I meditate furiously trying to get happy. And every now and then, maybe it happens, and then you try to repeat it, and you get even more frustrated. Maybe that's how it works. But, but this is more you actually bring up affection uh, into the heart and abide as affection. Uh, or you bring up beauty. And, and, and what I noticed, I don't know in, this, in the Toronto crowd, but a lot of the folk in the last retreat, there are many people with gray hair. Kim from Singapore, can you sit still? Kim from Singapore, can you just stop 
fiddling with your camera. Thank you. There you go. I have power. I see you. <laughs> anyway, um, it was done with affection, honestly. <laughs> um, so I was a bit distracted by that. So that's where it was. Um, so we have, you know, we have the capacity to be aware. We have the capacity to reflect. We have the capacity for affection. We have the capacity to appreciate beauty. We have the capacity for acceptance. You know, these are, these are fantastic things in the human heart. And quite often what we talk about in Buddhism is our other capacities for being really dumb. <laughs> and doing dumb things from dumb places, right? So, so that, you know, the, there's a lot of bad press about humanity right now if, you, if you're foolish enough to read the press. Uh, but actually, actually, the human condition is, is very, very, uh, it, it's really fabulous in that sense of the possibilities of, of goodness, affection, and beauty, but not done from sensual desire or from grasping. Because to feel affection for someone, you don't have to want to own them. Or to feel... Uh, the beauty of something. You don't have to own that. You can just tune in. So that's another way we learn. You know, there's, there's the way of like learning how to ride a bicycle, but in other ways we learn how to tune in, don't we? And that's not an intellectual structure. Maybe the intellect tells you, hey, it'd be good to tune, tune into that. So how do we tune into the heart? How do we tune, tune into to, um, states of affection? and learn to abide with them, then affection becomes part of the, the, the method. Compassion is usually very easy for us. That's, that's not a difficult one. For, you know, folk like us, you know, we, we're good people. We, we, you know, we live morally. We're concerned about our education systems and our governance. Um, usually we're not, you know, we're, not, we're not extremely sensual. You know, so we're very, very good people. And so compassion comes easy. Compassion comes easy, um, but sometimes the compassion gets into worry and, and those kinds of concerns. But just a, just a general sense of affection, and this is how I translate the word metta. I was, you know, the metta methodology. I never used that. Like that, I start to list people and shoot out the metta to them. You know, kind of send metta to people. I've never never really used that because it didn't make any sense to me actually. Um, so I've just, just realized that, that when the heart is open and, and has affection, that's very healthy. And, and when awareness is conjoined with affection, that's very powerful. It's very, very powerful. And that to me, what, what, what Metta Bhavana is about, it's not like I don't, I'm, although I really love Jim, I'm not zapping him right now. <laughs> Can you feel it, Jim? <laughs> I wish it could, you know, but I don't know. So, he, he's all right, actually. Um, so, so what is like affection as, a, as an ongoing experience rather than a practice that I do just, you know, when someone dies, I send them that kind of thing. Maybe that works, I don't know. But to me, it seems that practice is something that is about living all the time whether you're in Home Depot looking for lumber or you're 
trying to avoid people when you're walking through High Park or <laughs> whatever you might be doing. You can avoid them with affection, wearing your mask with affection. So what is affection? What does that feel like as an ordinary sensibility? And how, how might you uh, tune into that? And then how might you carry that through the day? Okay? That seems to me more like the contemplative's craft. So now you're not just investigating, but you know, you know, this is good, this is wholesome. I can bring that up into consciousness. I can relate to the lady at the counter in Home Depot with that. I'm not saying you don't do that, but you can see how that becomes a very powerful method. Because when the heart has that, that attitude, it's not selfish. It's not bound by greed, hatred, and delusion. It's connected. It's not alienated. And that upliftment is very helpful for, for it's a kind of samadhi, isn't it? for calming the mind. So the, my question to you would be then, how do you do that? Do you do that regularly? Do you have like, so here, here you come to like symbology and, and pictures and flowers and all those kinds of things. If you have, you have a picture of your, you know, most people have a picture of their grandkids, right? Jim, I think you do, right? Yeah. Jim is always just raving about his grandkids. Fantastic, yeah. And, 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 and why not? Why not do that? Why not plug into that? Of course, then you worry about your grandkids when they get sick. Well, that's just the karma of having grandkids. But what is that affection and how can I bring it forth? Not just as a, as a, as a, um, as a circumstantial thing, right? As a, as a constant. And this is more, more like a meditative. And so, like... I know, like, if you if you were to come into my room, you'd find now, how many shrines do I have? I think I have four. <laughs> it's growing exponentially. I'm in trouble. I won't get in there soon. But <laughs> my latest shrine is one I just I just put some. The junipers now are are producing berries, and and they're, 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 it's, it's a rough plant, but the, it's quite nice. So so I got some juniper berries and put it on my shrine. And that's a way of bringing up affection, isn't it? Um, I don't hug the Buddha group or something like that, but it, it, it brings forth a really lovely, lovely state of mind. And then I have pictures of my teachers. So I have the first monk that I met, Venerable Desiko, Tanjo Kumprom, who ordained me as a Samanera, Lompa Sumedho, Lompa Liam, Lompa Cha, and I have these pictures. And I look at them, and I just get this lovely feeling of affection and gratitude. And then I have a shrine for my mom. I light a, light a candle to her. Uh, and so, you know, if, you do, if you're doing that a lot, not just like, you know, like, like people will have these pictures of their family and they'll dust them. <laughs> but actually just sit in front of them and look at them. Is, is the kind of different thing. You probably, maybe everyone's doing that with COVID. Maybe you have to do that now. I guess you can do that with, with Skype and those kinds of things. But what I'm pointing to is, is that, that we deliberately bring forth affection, beauty, all those things of the open heart and, and, and keep remembering them. Because it's so easy to remember self-disparagement. It's so easy to be hypercritical and judgmental and worried and fearful, and you know, those are very easy things to do. I, w I was, I'm, I'm reading a book of essays by Toni Morrison, and she's saying, goodness is very difficult. It's a nice way to put it, isn't it? 
Because if you look at the habits of your own mind, even though we are good people and we're, you know, we're socially responsible, the habits can be pretty nasty sometimes. There's kind of harsh self-judgments or criticisms or, 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 or really deep fears. And it can be very, very um, haunting and troubling inner worlds that we inhabit. And so on one hand, we have to not go there. But on the other hand, we do have, well, we don't have to, but it's very, very helpful to bring happiness to the heart in a non-sensual way. And that's the happiness that Buddha said was a good happiness. So sometimes if we're coming from a idea that anything happy is bad, you know, sort of um, that happiness is sinful or something silly like that, we forget that the Buddha said, yeah, there are really good joys and there are, there are, there are good states of mind. And we're encouraged to develop those. And then you can see that is the method, because if you have some vibrancy to consciousness, to your, to your experience of being human, and then those haunting voices come up, that vibrancy, that strength, that uplift, makes you much more aware of them. They're going to come up. You know, they're going to come up, but you're much more aware of them, and, and you've got more facility and, 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 and positioning and to, to not, not, get, not get caught by them. And then because you're not caught by them, and you see them flow through consciousness, you begin to abide in what we call equanimity, peacefulness, because you haven't, you haven't bought into it. They still come through. And that's where like, like teachings around resistance are important, because these things will come up. And as they come up, so resistance feels this way. So you're stepping back as witness now, and you're not, you're not pushing it away, but you're not buying into it. And non-resistance feels this way, goes through you, it's uncomfortable, it's gone. And you, f you see the liberation of the mind from these things. And one of the beautiful phrases you find, we say it's the unshakable deliverance of the heart. Isn't that a beautiful line? It's the unshakable deliverance of the heart. Wow. Put that on your fridge. <laughs> and, and it's true. You know, it really is true. But when your heart shakes, what to do? Ah, non-resistance. Don't. If you feel like vulnerable, non-resistance, I mean, as long as it's safe, it, it, it won't hurt you. This is this is this is just stuff coming. Yeah, working on my stuff, <laughs> arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing, and you begin to trust in awareness. It does take a lot of trust. So the the Brahma Viharas are, are so helpful and, and they're beautiful. They're beautiful things to do. If you want to meditate for a day, two days, a week. If you can bring joy in, it's going to be a much nicer experience. If you can't bring joy in, it's going to be a bit of a grind. You probably need a, a Netflix break or something in the middle of it <laughs> to get away from your own mind. <laughs> so you don't want to make this, this spiritual life, uh, this, this, this hard graft. Sometimes it is. Uh, you know, you have someone dies or you get betrayed or uh, you, you get a horrible diagnosis of whatever, and yeah, sometimes it is, is, is very, very hard. But then, if you've invested in like these Brahma-viharas and the ways to move to affection and, and, and joy, you've invested in that, then you, you have a facility for doing that. If you don't, so it's very important to practice these kinds of things when you're not suffering. <laughs> you know, you only practice when you're like in extreme suffering. No, 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 no. Because because you need you need the strength when you're not in those extreme situations. 
at one of the things I kept repeating on this uh, retreat with the Ottawa Buddhist Society was that Lumpur Cha's uh, admonition to us, if you want to meditate, meditate. If you don't want to meditate, meditate. If your meditation makes you peaceful, then accept it. If your meditation doesn't make, make you peaceful, then accept it. That's very, very profound. It's not just an admonishment not to be lazy, but it's, it's actually saying that the movements that you experience in meditation are simply movements, and your real home is the silent knowing. And if you only meditate when you want to meditate, you'll never get there, because you'll move away from those things you resist. And if you judge your meditation as some kind of spiritual performance, ta-da, it was a good meditation, <laughs> then, then also most of your life will be disappointing, because <laughs> you won't come across those maybe that often. But if you meditate when you want, if you don't want to meditate, meditate. If you meditate, you know, if you take all of that, then, and you use a theme like resistance, right? So, you know, it's six o'clock and that's the time you like to meditate. And then you don't want to meditate. You, you say, yeah, I don't want to meditate. I don't think I'll look at that. <laughs> right? I think I'll look at the feeling of not wanting to meditate. This will be interesting. Huh? Now that's not just willful, oh, I've got to meditate, God, and I've got to do the dishes too, and then I've got to write those emails. It's just another whole list of responsibilities which you can never get done, right? And you feel guilty about it. But no, 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 you, you set a time, you always do it. Just do it. If you want to do it, do it. If you don't want to do it, do it. And then you look at wanting, not wanting, and that begins to bring you the insight that still knowing is not dependent on liking or disliking, it knows resistance, but it is not resistance. And you begin to see, ah, that's the transcendent. That's equanimity. That's peace. That's the, the, the non-believing in these movements. But if you just kind of do it when you, where you're in the mood, yeah, I guess it's all right. But you'd probably do anything. It wouldn't really matter. <laughs> but when it really matters is when there's resistance and you don't want to meditate. So, so you know, that that has always stayed, you know, stayed with me. It's actually very. It's not. It's not a kind of simplistic tautology kind of. It's it's, it's quite profound when you think about what we're doing. Because what we're doing is we're not trying to just create a experience called meditation, which is really really neat. And wow, that was really fun. Then you might as well just take LSD or something. <laughs> But rather, we're trying to find the transcendent, which is always there, and is not dependent on causes and conditions. But causes and conditions keep deluding us, and we keep getting lost in them and reacting to them. And one of them is resistance. Resistance. So you, you, know, that, you need to understand like how the Buddha set this up, and then you, when you kind of get an idea of the project, then you understand the methodology. So the methodology of bringing up goodness doesn't mean that you'll always be able to bring it up. You know, sometimes you're just, you're just not in a place to feel affection and you feel really bloody-minded and you have good reason to feel bloody-minded. And so be it. That's fine. And then you, you, you bear witness to that. Oh, gosh, I really feel angry. And anger is this way. You don't resist it. You don't run with it either. But you don't resist it. You know, I'm furious. Furious feels this way. And have the courage to do that and the impatience to do that and bear witness to do that. And then, wow, and then you get the peace of cessation. So sometimes it's like that and sometimes not. So this isn't like 
like if you, if you see meditation as some kind of performance, then metta bhavana becomes this building up, this deep, deep loving experience. But that's not what it's about, really. You know, it can, you know, that would be a nice feeling. But it's, it's, it's more profound. It's about the heart being open all the time and learning how to do that. So, how's that? I think I'll finish with a talk there. Antamayangamovatakathasadukarandadhamase Sadhu